Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, I am uh, happy to have you here today, and I'm happy to be here. I had a, a really fun week last night. Why is last that? Last week, well, uh, my daughter got married. Yes, congratulations. Down in, down in Savannah, Georgia. We uh, have been planning on this for quite a while, and um, you know, I was just reflecting. Uh, she got married on Saturday, the 26th, and reflecting on Sunday, and um, I was a little little down. It's kind of it, it was interesting because it was su- such a big um, high, and it was just yeah, so much fun. And I, I was thinking back, it was you know one of the four best days of my life. You know, first one or not in any particular order, but sure. getting married was yep. one of them. Uh, the birth of my two children, two kids, right? And then you know, giving my my daughter uh, away, and just really gaining a son in law. So yeah, but it was a phenomenal um, event. And just uh, the prescription of the week this week, I've got something for you on oh, that yeah. too. Yeah, so, wait though, we we can't reveal that. No, yet. we can't, we can't. But uh, yeah, that was uh, certainly a busy week last week, and next week we've got the Masters. Masters is coming, coming up. up. Yeah. yeah, I hear Tigers in town. I don't know. If I he's did. I saw. Play. I saw an article about that. I'm like. What what does that mean? Yeah. I know there's no official news yet with him, but hey, his yeah. plane has been. Sighted. I know it's like <laughs> there's a, a sonar that goes off when he when he arrives and everyone knows. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I I don't think he's going to play competitively. I think he's still at least a year off, but sure. uh, you know, could be wrong. You but know, an exciting time nonetheless. Yeah, with Masters and yeah, right here we the, de- definitely have the uh, the pollen in, in full full <laughs> bloom, don't we? <laughs> yeah. So uh, so glad to have you here listening to us today. We've got a great show lined up um, today. We're going to be first talking about. Uh, a super exciting topic. I mean, bonds. It's the most exciting thing to talk about Absolutely, ever. other than trust. Well, that's next. That's right. <laughs> so we're going to liven it up a little bit, but t- tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. The, so, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about why bonds do belong in your portfolio. I think, you know, obviously, jokingly, bonds bonds are not the most exciting. So people might not think they're necessary, but they, you know, they really are an important and integral part in a portfolio, especially long term. So. Yeah, they are. That's uh, it'll be a good discussion because we do get that question uh, frequently. And then we're also going to talk about uh, living trust. Um, uh, and uh, should should you um, should you you know pay the money to get a living trust? And there's pros and cons to that. We've talked about this before. Still get a lot of questions on it, so we thought we would cover that topic again. And uh, there are some some reasons to do it, but um, you know there's some reasons not to do it. So right. we'll, we'll cover that in uh, in a couple of minutes. Uh, and uh, by the way, I'm I'm John Travis. Uh, I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey certified coach, and I have um, I'm coming up on 30 years of experience, wow. man. I'm getting getting old. No, I'm getting older. 30, yeah. Okay. There you older. Go. That is, How's that? That's appropriate. That's right. I'll accept that. That's right. And yeah. You, and you are Zach Albanese. Um, I've been in uh, in the industry about three years now. I have my degree in finance and uh, been just uh, enjoying working here with, with John for yeah. a, over a year now. Awesome. So I've, I've, I've earned my veteran status. And, right. and technically, I'm getting older too. Yes, you are. There you go. Yeah. 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 We all are. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But we're certainly excited <laughs> to have you listening to us today. Uh, you know, we have our uh, podcast up every Friday morning. Uh, you can go to our website, moneymd.net um, or iTunes, and you can uh, listen to the podcast, we have hundreds of podcasts out there now you can go check out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, go to our website, moneymd.net. You can um, you can link to us there, ask us questions. We also have a, a lot of information out there and a Facebook page. Uh, Facebook page is MoneyMD, and uh, I think I mentioned I'm doing the prescription of the week, and it has to do with weddings. It does. So uh, stick around in the show. We'll uh, kind of talk through that. So we're going to start off here with the uh, financial fact of the week. Yeah, so the financial fact of the week is that U.S. 
grocery prices, which is maybe <clears throat> think about as like food at home, mm-hmm. has increased 8.6% mm. over the year, uh, year ending in February. Yep. Um, which compares to 3.5% increase of groceries for the year uh, ending the, the, the previous February. Previous year, yep. And a 0.8% increase for the year before that in 2020. And so just how much groceries have increased um, over the last three years is pretty staggering. Yeah, 8.6% is a big number. And and uh, I'll tell you, we did, um, Steve and I and Kathy did, a, um, a, and I think Tammy helped as well, a shopping survey has probably been four or five years ago, mm. but we found that Aldi was the least expensive, cheaper than Walmart, yeah, um, and significantly cheaper than than Kroger and Publix. Kroger, so, right. you know, if you're if you're finding your budget uh, stretched at this point, yeah. and and the groceries have gone up significantly, some things in the grocery categories are up, you know, fifteen or twenty percent. Check out Aldi and, and Lidl, yeah, um, you know, Costco's and and uh, Sam's and so forth. You may need to do some discount shopping, and we we like Aldi. Oh um, yeah, the food's my, good. My dad loves Aldi, and if you if you know what you're looking for, sometimes you can get better produce. Yeah, um, better selection at, at some of these discount stores. So, yeah, absolutely, check yeah. them out, and especially especially with inflation, as we see with groceries, but everything else. Yeah, it's gas, good to save gas is up. Gas, it's uh, it's difficult. It's difficult times. But they don't. I saw a, a projection that um the the projection for long term inflation in the next ten years is about two and a half percent. So yeah, I saw that too. That's that was, that yeah. was interesting because you think that oh no, everyone's freaking out. Like, oh no, what's it going to be long term? But yeah, it really hasn't changed changed too much. So. Keep our fingers crossed yeah. on that one. Right. Projections are always uh yeah projections projections. Right. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to switch gears here, and uh, we're going to talk about why bonds belong in your portfolio. And, and we certainly see low rates now, and we have really for the last decade. But uh, there's a there's a, you know, a couple good reasons to have bonds in your portfolio, and we'll go through a couple of them here today. Yeah, you, as you were saying, John, you know, bonds have not been the most attractive for interest in the recent years, but they have been still integral in your, your portfolio. And so we'll get into that. Um, Peter Lynch, who's kind of a, a famous... Uh, manager, he was the manager of the Fidelity, yeah, the Fidelity Magellan Fund during the 1980s. Once said, uh, "Gentlemen who prefer bonds don't know what they are missing." And, <laughs> and I think you know, generally we'd agree. And in his book, uh, Dow Thirty Six Thousand, Glassman, who's actually the the author of this article, referring James Glassman, um, made the case that because history shows that stocks and bonds are equally risky over the long term. And that stocks return on average of four to five percent points, uh, percentage points more a year. The obvious choice is stocks, but there is a reason to own bonds. First, in the short term, bonds fluctuate much less than stocks do, and you might need reliable invest um, income because you have um, something coming up: uh, college tuition, a down payment on a house, for example. So that's one reason why. Bonds are are important to consider in your portfolio. Yeah, and the second is is you know bonds provide a ballast for the portfolio. According to uh, Russell Investments, the uh, research they did since 1997, the correlation between stock and bond returns has mainly been negative. So, mm-hmm. in other words, when one goes up, the other tends to go down or stays constant, um, and as a result, you get a smoother ride. So, you know, bonds can supply reliable income. Um, and we actually see that in our portfolios when we do distributions and we go through a, a downturn for, you know, the Russia conflict or the um, uh, pandemic, you know, right. we can we can go to the bond side and, and produce income. Exactly. So, but, uh, you know, over the past decade, bonds have, have not been uh, especially productive since 2012. Um, the uh, 10-year bond has averaged 
um, about 2% per calendar year has never exceeded 3%. So certainly from a historical standpoint, we've been in a low uh, rate environment for quite a while. Yeah, and even when you you kind of go to the more popular bond mutual funds, uh, the average annual is just about 3.1% in the past 10 years. Um, so it's really not great for long-term growth, uh, but like you said, it's, it's still an essential part of the portfolio. Um, and, but lately, you know, rates have, have perked up a bit. Moody's um, sees in AAA corporate bond yield for the um, safest debt jump from 2.5% on December 3rd to 3.3% on March 3rd, uh, which is still only about a half the average in the last 40 years. Um, but, you know, so we'll get into that a little bit. Before we do, we kind of want to discuss, you know, what, what even is a bond, John? Yeah, a bond is basically an IOU. It's a promise by a business or a government to repay an investor for a loan. And it's typically for a specific, uh, you know, maturity um, in the future and also a specific interest rate. Or yield, and so bonds are actively traded. Um, so a ten-year, ten-thousand-dollar bond issued with a coupon of three percent might trade a few years later at only seven thousand. And the reason is um, it's interest rate risk. So you know, first the borrower could get into financial trouble, and the investors, um, you know, doubt they'll they'll be repaid. That could reduce the um, the, the the price of the bond. That's a credit risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, the interest rates may rise after you buy the bond. So you know, when new bonds come out with a higher yield, that makes your bond uh, less attractive because it has a lower yield. So, I mean, bonds aren't risk-free. There are some risk associated with it, credit and interest rate risk. Mm-hmm. But, but generally, if you you know if you hold them to maturity, it, it turns out pretty well. Yeah, really. If you, if if you hold them to maturity, the in, you know the lower price in the interim doesn't doesn't really matter. You'll get the full face value when it does come due. But if you have to sell sooner, like you're saying, you you'll you'll take a loss on that. Um, but you know, bonds also present another kind of risk, um, which is in inflation. You know, inflation mm-hmm. diminishes the value of the dollar, so that even when you get your ten thousand dollars at maturity, it will have the purchasing power of let's say you know six thousand dollars. So some decline in value is inevitable, and that expectation is built into the bonds yield. But inflation may be worse than the market anticipates, and which is you know kind of what we're seeing at least currently right now with inflation. Yeah, and so right now, you know, long-term inflation, um, you know, we talked about is for groceries was eight and a half percent. The um, consumer price index was close to eight percent over the last twelve months, and um, but the uh, the Federal Reserve looked out, you know, ten years, and it was about two point seven percent. That's what we were referencing earlier. So you know, most people think the inflation is transitory, but still sticking around a little little longer than most people had hoped. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly reasonable to think that intermediate um, rates, you know, five to ten-year bonds, will uh, rise another two or three points uh, in the next couple of years, making bond yields much more attractive than they currently are. Yeah, and so you might be thinking, how well, how do I invest in bonds? And so it's it's a great question, and the choices really are vast. But for many investors, buying kind of individual bonds is at the riskier end of the the debt spectrum, and really, it's just too adventurous. Uh, unless you spend a lifetime really examining the nuances of particular bonds, you'll probably get better returns at much the same risk with with stocks. So, you know, you can buy individual government bonds through, um, or you know, directly through the U.S. Treasury's site. But owning a bond or even several locks you into today's rates and forces you to take a loss if rates rise. So, um, we think, and the way we do do things here with our portfolios, we <clears throat> we use bond mutual funds. Yes, um, and we use that with our client portfolios. Uh, for instance, if a bond fund has an average maturity of five years, about one-fifth of its holdings will come due in any 12-month period. 
And then the nice thing about a mutual fund is the fund manager will decide uh, to buy new bonds with the cash from its maturing bonds. And if the rates are rising, those bonds will have higher yields. Yeah, that's right. And the fund manager can can shift to higher yields by deploying cash from from new investors who uh, tend to to flock to bond funds as as rates rise. Um, so, you know, some things to look at and consider is the duration of the bond. The longer the duration, mm-hmm. the more movement from uh, interest rate changes the value of that. So if interest rates rise by a percent, and the duration of your bond is, you know, ten years, which is pretty long in today's uh, world, you could have a 10, 10% decrease in the value of it. So in a rising interest rate environment, it's better to be in shorter term um, bonds as they're not as sensitive to interest rate risk. Um, longer term bonds typically have a little bit more return, but you have more interest rate risk. So you know that's what we invest in. We, we have shorter term duration bonds. Right. We want to make sure we're on the short end of that schedule. And another way to protect against rising interest rates is the use of, uh, you know, tips, which are, um, you know, they in, inflation related. So if inflation and interest rates increase, um, then the value of those bonds will increase. And we, we actually made that uh, change for our portfolios right. back in, I think it was September of last year. And that's been, that was a good move. Very good move. Yeah. We went from intermediate bonds um, or, you know, shorter duration bonds down to this, uh, this real return type bond. So that can help you, um, you know, long term if, if interest rates and, and inflation are still pretty high. Yeah. And if rates do rise and re- returns might, you know, reach the 5% range that kind of people were, were accustomed to a, a while back and like they've shown through our history. But, but higher rates can also have effect on a depressing, uh, have a, the effect of a depressing economic growth, which in turn can force borrowers into default, which means going back to your point, you know, bond investing is is always a matter of balance. It's not risk-free. It's a good thing to have in a portfolio at large, um, looking at long versus short maturities, riskier versus safer credits, and I think no, no more um, so than, than now, really, yeah. to take a look at that. So Yeah, so our strategy is short-term, high-quality um, mm-hmm. bonds. We've seen that work real well during really difficult times. Um, right. People will flock to those type of bonds. And so we're able to uh, do rebalancing, which we talk about periodically. So that means we actually sell some bonds and and go buy the stocks when they're low, like during the pandemic. Yeah. And if you're taking income from the portfolio, you know, if you have some high quality bonds in there, they're going to hold their value very well. And we can do distribution. So yeah, yeah, we don't have many people that are in retirement that are 100 percent in stocks. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, that's that's a that's a wild roller coaster ride, and most people want to have anywhere in between 30 and 50 percent in bonds. Give them that cushion. Yeah, especially when you're you're drawing out of it, drawing pulling out money when stocks are down is a is a big no no. Yes, yeah, so. that's right, that's right. So great, we can, we liven that up a little bit. A little bit. It was, it I think okay. we did a good job with it, but uh, you know, it's still it's bonds. There were some numbers in there, and yeah, it was a little. I'm yeah. happy with it. All right, I'm happy too. But we got a good question of the week, and um, so the question is: is what is a stock split? And we've seen a lot of companies right. recently. I think Tesla's going yeah. through a stock split. Um, we've seen Apple do it, and you know, companies Google announced years. it. That's right. So Amazon, right? That's right. Yeah. So a stock split basically it doesn't change the value of a company. It basically says, hey, you know, if you have a hundred dollars um, per share, and they do a two for one stock split, that hundred is going to go down to fifty, mm-hmm. and instead of one share, you would have two shares. So it's still a hundred, yeah, right. And so it doesn't change the fundamentals. It doesn't change the earnings of the company. It typically is viewed as a as a positive sign for the company. Um, people like having more shares at a lower yeah. price. I mean, if the- yeah, it makes it more <laughs> a- approachable. Yeah, I think like a stock like what Amazon's in the several thousands. It's like that's right. Well, I can never 
Yeah. So if they did a 10 for one, if it was $3,000, you could get, you know, $300. So, yeah. but it, it doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't change the earnings per share of the company. So, you know, right. some people do like to, to buy in and buy more shares, but um, fundamentally it's not a reason to go and buy more shares right. is what yeah. it boils down to. But a stock split is done uh, frequently. I think it's uh, the key point for the, for the company is, is it, it makes it more appealing to have a lower stock price that people buy into. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So very good. All right. So we're going to switch gears here and talk about um, when do living trust make sense? And this is from Kiplinger, a lady named Sandra Block wrote this recently. And, you know, trust can solve a lot of problems, um, but like all tools, it can certainly be misused. So, you know, if you're putting together an estate plan, you've you've obviously probably heard the benefits of a living trust. Um, Assets placed in a trust, they don't don't go through probate, which is a very time-consuming Sometimes can be a costly process, depends on what state you live in. Uh, in addition, a living trust, also known as a revocable trust, allows you to designate a trustee to manage your estate after you're gone. <clears throat> and this is you know, one of the really important benefits of a trust. If you have heirs that are minor children uh, or adults who are unable to handle a large inheritance, we mm-hmm. see people using trust yeah. for those two situations. Um, but uh, you know, although living trusts can streamline the, the disposition of your estate, there's a lot of opportunities to make costly missteps, um, particularly when it comes to transferring assets to your trust. So we certainly always recommend, go, go consult an attorney on this. For, I mean, absolutely, we, yeah. We are not lawyers and legal folks no. here, but we do deal with um, with living trust and, and revocable trust a lot with our clients. That's right. So we yeah. do know a lot about it, but we always recommend certainly talk to an attorney in this. So what, what should you not put in a trust? And um, there's different debates on this. Um, we don't believe... Um, you know, retirement accounts such as 401ks, IRAs, uh, tax-deferred annuities should go in there. You can distribute those just based on uh, beneficiaries, right? right? Yeah, and so beneficiary. unless you have one of those situations where you have heirs that are minor children or someone who's unable to um, to handle a large inheritance, beneficiaries work really well. They do, yeah. They're, they're really, really fast. And so health savings accounts, you wouldn't need to put in there uh, either. You can... Um, you know, you can make a, a trust your beneficiary for your retirement accounts if you want. It's called a see-through trust, and it's just going to go to your beneficiaries anyway if it's a see-through trust. So um, with checking, savings, brokerage accounts, um, you can also use a payable on death um, distribution, which is a beneficiary, or a transfer on death. It's called a POD or a TOD yeah. designation. And it's just a beneficiary for, for bank accounts and brokerage accounts. So, you know... It, it depends on it depends on your situation, which is why you need to talk to either your financial advisor or your your lawyer. But just making a trust to distribute to your kids, um, yeah. it just it, it's not necessary. You could do that through a beneficiary, and it would be a lot easier. Yeah, and it seems like most people we we engage with, um, actually, very few it seems actually need a trust. Yeah. I don't know if that's 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 true. What you see as well. Yeah, so. yeah. There's there's some other reasons that are associated with it, but. Primarily, if you're just giving this, you know, money to your kids or even, even your grandkids, beneficiaries can work. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and so, um, but what are some assets that do belong in a trust? You know, a common misstep is to set up a trust and then fail to fund it. Um, and funding a trust typically involves re- retitling property on fin- and financial accounts. And you know, John, as you were saying, you and your attorney should come up with a detailed inventory of assets that do belong in the trust. And and so. One thing is is real estate, including your home, which might be you know your largest asset, and it's appropriate to place your largest asset uh, in your trust if it's necessary. And so doing so will decrease the time required 
to transfer the home to, to your heirs in the event of your death. And if you own property in another state, a vacation home, for example, transferring the title to a living trust will enable you to avoid going through probate in more than one state, which is a lot. So you'll need to create a new deed that transfers ownership of the property um, to your trust in order to do that. Yeah, another thing you can put in uh, in a trust is um, you know how to retitle these assets, but you should certainly draw up a, a list of uh, instructions um, that should be included in the trust. You can, you know, collectibles, jewelry, art, and so forth. You can certainly um, use the trust to designate who should receive these items, um, but you can also do that in a will as well, right? Um, yeah. uh, the difference is, is the will is a matter of, um, you know, public record when you go through probate. Um, so a trust is, is more private. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I just don't see many people going out there researching, um, what's going through probates. I mean, maybe, right. they, maybe they are, I, I don't know, but the, you know, the, the trust does, um, you know, is more secure and it's not public record mm-hmm. basically, whereas going through probate would be. So, so the question is, is like, like we're talking about is, do you really need a trust? And, you know, as we've explained, you know, the living trust, it certainly requires legwork, um, and there's also a cost associated with it. So depending on where you live, you know, you can expect to pay three up to $5,000 in legal fees. Um, a basic will can be anywhere from $500 to $1,000. So it's definitely going to be more expensive to do a trust versus a will. Um, and a living trust may be worth the cost if it reduces the hassles of going through probate. Right. Um, you know, if you've served as an executor of an estate, you understand probate is not easy. Um, not but fun, I'll right. tell you that the cost piece in South Carolina Georgia, and Georgia is not a significant issue unless you have a large estate. So if you have an estate that's less than a million dollars, then the cost of going through probate is going to be less than what you would pay for a trust. trust, Right. Right. So the cost, I mean, maybe some states like California or New Jersey, maybe that's different, but in this area, um, there's just not a significant probate cost to justify that would not be the only reason to get a trust right is to is to um, not have the probate cost because you're going to pay more in the trust than you would in probate yeah, exactly so. and so i think if you know if that's kind of your situation then you you probably don't need a living trust um in addition as we were mentioning earlier you know most of your money is in or if most of your money is in retirement accounts you you might not need a living trust because as we mentioned beneficiaries do that process um really well and it avoids probate. And same thing with life insurance. With a named beneficiary, that won't go through probate either because the death benefit will just go right to the beneficiary. Um, you can also arrange to make bank and other accounts payable upon death to your heirs, as you were mentioning, John. Yep. Um, in which case, yeah, those those won't go through probate either. So property owing, owned jointly, such as a home owned by you and your spouse, it just will transfer to the, the surviving owner uh, outside of probate as well. So Think about your situation. I think that's that's why it's always important to sit down and talk to somebody. Yep. Because then you really can see what what will, what will not go through probate. Do you need a trust or are beneficiaries sufficient? Yeah. And there's also some myths out there, which we're going to kind of talk about here. And one of them is a living trust um, will help you avoid estate taxes. And that is false. Hmm. I mean, there are ways to reduce your federal and state, um, you know, estate taxes, but a living trust is not one of them. I mean, if your state is large enough to potentially expose you to estate taxes, you should certainly you know meet with an estate planning attorney, yeah. and um, you know and figure out how to reduce the size of your estate. So, I mean, the estate tax threshold right now is is twelve million dollars, yeah. right? And uh, for a married couple, twenty four million. So, you know, unless Congress acts, um, that exemption could drop to in the five million dollar range, which is still very high. But doing a living trust does not impact um, no. your taxes at at all associated with this. So. 
that is a myth sometimes that people don't understand. And also, if you have a living trust, another myth is, is you don't need a will. And, you know, it's unlikely that you're going to include everything in your trust. So you, you do need a will. Um, you may add, add assets between the time you draw up your living trust and your death. Uh, now, your attorney may may recommend a document called a pour-over will, which basically transfers uh, to the trust anything you've excluded. Mm-hmm. But in addition to the will, I mean, there are some other things that you need, um, you know, that we're going to talk about here in a minute, but financial power of attorneys and so forth. And certainly if you have minor children, and this is one of the uh, really important reasons to have a will is, is if you have minor children, then you need to have a, a guardian that's, right. that's named in yeah. there. I mean, if your assets are one thing, but then your kids, you know, you need to make sure that you have the, the proper person identified on there. They're so, more important than so there are assets. some, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, that's, sorry. In case anyone was wondering. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So there are some documents that you need for your estate though. Yes. Yeah. So the documents that you have um, for your estate, you know, you want to keep them in a secure place, uh, home safe, safe deposit box, make sure your loved ones know where to find them. So that's important because if you have a will, but no one knows where it is, yeah, it's not really effective. So um, you may also want to give copies to your attorney or two individuals that you trust or that you've designated to play a role in your state. Um, you also, you know, you're, you want to think about your financial durable power of attorney. Um, this gives an individual the authority to manage your money if you become incapacitated. And that's very important, as we see a lot um, interacting with, with people in their situations. That's right. So as you, as you talk to a, an estate planning attorney um, or a lawyer who does this, I mean, these are some of the documents that uh, we, we recommend that you consider power of attorney for a financial, mm-hmm. but also medical power of attorney. It names an that's individual right. who is authorized to make health care decisions on your uh, behalf if you're incapacitated. Uh, also, di- uh, directive to physicians um, or a living will. This gives you know the type of treatments yeah. um, and long term care options you prefer. You know, having some some funeral arrangements. <clears throat> that's one thing I haven't done. I have not uh, talked to Tammy about it, but um, I don't know. I mean, just document. That's not real fun to think about. No. Yeah, you kind of brought me down a little bit. There, I'm, John. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I did go to a funeral recently um, of a of a good friend, and um, I don't know. It just got, got me thinking a little bit. So I need to probably document that. So uh, that's my homework coming out of here. Okay, I'll, I'll remind you. Yeah, so make sure you have a list. I mean, we have a really good um, uh, item on our on our website, moneymd.net. It's a financial uh, account inventory sheet that you can list, you know, life insurance policies, but you can also list some of these estate planning documents that you have. You can keep them all together. Um, like you said, make sure you share that with loved ones. They know how how to access them and where they are. Yeah, and like you said, it's not, it's not necessarily fun to have funeral arrangements written down, but it it really is helpful to the people who, who take care of your estate. And yeah. it's just nice to know you've thought about these things, you've planned for these things. And uh, I think that, and it really doesn't take much time initially. You just got to do it first. And then I think you'll, you'll kind of reap the benefits of that in a long time. Yeah, and we do see, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone listening out there has had folks, uh, either friends or family that have passed away suddenly and we just don't know. And so you got to right. you got to yeah. plan and um, take care of your loved ones. It's a way that you do show your love to to them, making sure you have all that uh, yeah. documented. That's together. right. So, all righty. Well, that's trust. We got trust, trust and bonds. bonds. So this last one's prescription of the week is dear near to my heart. That's right. Um, so uh, when you when when getting married, um, or quite frankly for any type of event, um, vacations or car purchases, you got to set a budget. So. I'll specifically talk about getting married um, with Danielle and um, her um, husband now Justin. Um, we basically gave them a budget on the front end of it. Yeah, 
and and we said, hey, we will pay up to this level, and anything above that, um, you're going to cover it. Yep. And so they both work. Um, they're both employed in, in professional jobs. And so, you know, people were asking me, is it stressful? You're always writing checks. Well, I, I didn't always write checks. Yeah. And basically it allowed um, Justin and Danielle to determine what they wanted without me saying, how much are you paying for that yeah. cake? You know, I mean, I just right. didn't get into those details. The granulars, yeah. Because it didn't matter to me. So we right. had set a budget on the front end. It really helped um, the process. Uh, we had no disagreements on money. Um, I had you know, some input, very limited input on it, which was fine. It wasn't my wedding. But uh, setting budgets on things is really important. Again, vacations are important. Yeah. Um, when you buy a car, you know, any type of big event, if you can set that goal, communicate it, and um, just get everybody on the same page. Yeah, like you're mentioning, it's it's just really helpful to all, all the parties involved. To yeah, you don't have to you don't have to scrutinize every decision, but just say, hey, yeah, for in your case, I want to give you this amount. And any amount more you you pay for it, and it's like great, yeah. thank you. And yeah, you're not there, you know, when they're making decisions on. I mean, because there's a million decisions. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, th- when they <laughs> left the wedding, they had a um, sparkler exit. Okay. Okay. And yeah, everybody had a sparkler. Before. Yeah. And uh, you know, if I would have been uh, directly paying for it, I would have <laughs> been like. How much does that cost? <laughs> Is that necessary? And instead, I was like, "Oh, that sounds fun. That's fun, right?" So, yeah. and and I had a great time lighting yeah. the sparkler, and yeah. you know, so um, it just kind of take took away the right. stress. You can enjoy you can enjoy it more than be worried about the the dollar cost. That's right. Things. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That's so, a prescription. That's a good. Of the week. That's a good prescription. Yeah, so we are um, happy that you joined us today. Hope you have a great yeah. week coming up. Um, this has been this week's edition to MoneyMD. You can uh, tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, MoneyMD.net. Send us a question or give us a call here at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Yeah, have a good weekend too. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 